We talk a lot on this podcast about chess improvement, but when it comes to improving your hiring processes, Indeed is the platform you need. Indeed has over 350 million global monthly visitors, and it has a matching engine that helps you find quality work candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with your candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Years ago, when I was running a chess teaching business, I found it hard to find good help, and I had to go through a lot of back and forth to even screen potential candidates. Indeed allows you to do those things efficiently in one place. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed for hiring, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of Perpetual Chess will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility if you go to Indeed.com slash chess. Just go to Indeed.com slash chess right now, and you'll be supporting our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast, Indeed.com slash chess. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, everyone. I'm Ben Johnson, and this is the Perpetual Chess Podcast. On Perpetual Chess, I have weekly conversations with chess players, personalities, authors, and adult improvers about their lives, their careers, and about chess improvement. Perpetual Chess is brought to you through the generosity of its Patreon and PayPal supporters. For more information, go to PerpetualChessPod.com. Hey everyone, welcome back to Perpetual Chess. We have a very strong chess player joining us this week. He's an active player as well. He's a top 50 player in the world with a peak rating of 2718. He has won or tied for first in many tournaments, the 2007 European Individual Championships, 2014 Gibraltar Chess Festival, 2009 and 2010 Roy Lopez Masters, just to name a few. And of course, he has just released a book with Thinkers Publishing called Chepadinov's D4. Um, it Unfortunately, it's not on forward chess yet, so I have only seen excerpts of it, but it looks great. And obviously, we've been enjoying uh, talking to various opening authors and get sort of getting sort of um, a big picture view of uh, what's going on with theory and what we're learning from engines and all that stuff. So we're going to dive into that. Uh, but one other thing we should know about our guest, he was also GM Vasilin Topolov's uh, second for seven years. So lot lot to discuss, and I'm excited to have him on the show. So let's go ahead and bring him in. Ivan Chepardinov, how are you, sir? Hi, hello. Fine, I'm fine, thanks. And thanks, thanks for joining us. So you're joining us from your native Bulgaria, is that right? Yeah, yeah, I'm in Bulgaria, yeah, in and, Sofia. And you yeah. mentioned uh, you're headed off to Gibraltar in a few days? Yeah, I go actually in uh, Sunday, yeah. In okay. two days I go to Gibraltar, yeah. So uh, what, I, I should know this, of course, but w- what event is coming up? Are there, uh, what is it the big open tournament coming up? Yeah, okay, Gibraltar is one of the biggest opens in the world and many top players are playing there. Also, many USA uh, players, for example, Nakamura is playing all the time and uh, it's very strong, actually. So Okay, yeah. I it's mean, one I'm... of the strongest opens in, in the world. Okay, yeah, I'm very, very familiar yeah. with it. Just wanted to make sure it wasn't like a separate event, some sort of small... No, no, under... it's this one, it's this one, yeah. Excellent, okay. So so how does... I'm, it's nice of you to take a break from, I'm sure, what is a lot of prepar- preparation and you You've got a family as well, but as a as a tournament of that magnitude gets closer, uh, wh- what sort of work do you do? 
Uh, yeah, okay. Lately, for me, it's very difficult to to concentrate on my play and to train like I do. I did it before, because many years ago I was uh, mostly just uh, preparing for my tournaments and uh, I was doing a lot of fitness, uh, gym, and a lot of stuff. But nowadays it's a bit more difficult because I have small daughter, and it's uh, okay. You know, everybody who has a kid, uh, you know that it's not very easy now to to do all this stuff. But still, I'm trying to to train and to do my best as a player. Yeah, most as a player. Yeah. Yeah, I and a lot of people listening can can relate to the how your professional priorities change when you have kids, even if we can't relate to being a twenty seven hundred. Um, yeah. Okay. Everything. Cha- I mean, life changes. So, but it's for good. So it's not so bad. <laughs> yeah. And does that make the travel more challenging? Does it make it harder to be away uh, from home? Okay. For the moment. Um, because my wife is also, she's a world champion, uh, Antoinette Stefanova, and she also is traveling a lot, so we are traveling mostly together. So, uh, but okay, we have my mother, which uh, she's helping us a lot, otherwise it will be very difficult. Yeah, that's... I mean, it's not easy, of course, it's not easy, but okay, for the moment, our daughter is still young, so okay, we have uh, no travel to, to travel, but after some time, it will be even more difficult. So Yeah, that makes sense. And how does your little girl like life on the road? Does she like traveling? Uh, okay, for the moment, she's just only one year old. So ah, okay. She travel yet, but... Uh, I bet she'll I mean, like it, though. After some years, for sure, she'll be. So. Yeah, my kids love hotels. We don't, we don't travel very much, but when we yeah. do, they're always excited. Um, but mm-hmm. let's let's get to your book, Ivan. Um, I, you, so you mentioned in the intro that you actually... So this is amazing. You hadn't read an opening book in 10 years. And now... Oh, even more, even more, yeah. Wow, even I more. I just put 10 years because I didn't want it to be, you know. <laughs> I, maybe, okay, maybe when I was a kid, I was uh, studying all kinds of books. I mean, especially I liked books for uh, middle games, end games, and books for, um, for example, of some of the top players of the time, let's say like Botvinnik, you know, all these books. I liked very much. But lately, yeah, the last last years I didn't read the opening book. Yeah, it's amazing because I even didn't do it on purpose. I just didn't uh, wanted to be um, how to say uh, because everybody is do is making something in these books that I I want to have my own opinion, you know, of yeah. the thing. So that's why I wanted just to skip all this this stuff. But now I understand that maybe okay, maybe I could do it. I could uh, probably read some nice books because there are some good books that uh, definitely you need to to have it yeah yeah that but, makes sense and of course it's yeah. not like you weren't using a database which which at your level well, of course <laughs> i was using database all the time of course yeah so so <laughs> you dig in to write this book and once you do decide to write it did you did you look around at any other ones just so you of sort course, of felt like you knew what no, to do when i decided to write i was reading oh for example i liked very much the books of uh, boris avruch somehow uh, i had a feeling that you would go there first his books are so legendary yeah, no, no, I really like them because before I didn't check them, of course, but now I really wanted to see how they're writing the books and what is the strategy to make the book because I really didn't have an idea how to do it. And uh, especially of his books, I really learned a lot. Yeah, I think uh, this probably for me, this was one of the best books of the time. Yeah. Okay. Or and, opening books, I mean. Yeah. yeah, and we should say that this is going to be a multi-volume project, and volume one is about which lines, Ivan? Yeah, uh, volume one, it's about uh, against Grunfeld and King's Indian, and uh, third move, F3. So after D4, Knight F6, C4, G6, F3. So basically, it's uh, covering Zemish against King's Indian and uh, F3 against Grunfeld, yeah. Yeah, fun fighting chess for sure. Yeah, yeah it's very fighting and a very principal line that uh, many top players are playing for both covers. So it's uh, very exciting. And this is only the first bomb. There will be much more. So Yeah, I bet. D4, that's a, that's a big topic. So, so yeah, what? D4, there are many, many openings. Yeah, yeah. So what surprised you in digging into your research? Was there, was there a line that, that, was there like a particular line that was doing way, way better or way worse than you thought? Or was there some sort of like tactical rabbit hole that, that you ended up going down um, when you found some crazy computer line? Anything like that? Yeah, no, uh, for me, the idea to write the book was uh, very interesting because I wanted, I know that mostly the chess books, for opening, uh, the people are writing for people, let's say, 2,000 or 2,100, no? something like this. And my goal was to be a bit more, um, 
even for some strong players, you know, like 2,500 maybe, even 2,600. And that's why I was wondering how to do it because uh, it's not very easy. I mean, you need to really to know what you want to write and which op- which lines you want to include and uh, how you want to do it for amateurs or for both, you know, because it's not very easy. So this was the most challenging for me uh, how to do it exactly. And I think uh, finally I decided to simply to make it uh, how I feel that should be and just to see if uh, the people will like it because I I cannot skip for myself, you know, I mean, yeah. I really, because I was working with many top players, with Veselin Tupao, many others, and for me chess is um, not only sport, but it's also kind of science. So for me, for example, if I find some let's say I'm, try, I'm writing the book for white, but if I find something interesting for black, I want to also want to put it in the book, you know, because uh, for me it's not um, very good if you just skip some lines just to make the book looking very good, you know. So that's why I wanted to make it for both colors, kind of. Okay, especially for white, but also many interesting ideas uh, for black. Because, okay, we know that chess is... Uh, I mean, we cannot just kill chess with some opening, you know, it's yeah, yeah. very difficult. I mean, okay, maybe some people, they think that, uh, okay, you play F3 and you win all the games. I mean, it's not <laughs> working like this, you know. Yeah. I mean, you really need to be prepared for both colors, and that's why I wanted to, even in my intro, I put it that I, uh, my structure of the book is that uh, I'm giving all the lines for white, of course, but there are some interesting ideas for black. So if you play Grunfeld or King's Indian with black, there are also very interesting ideas for black. So Excellent. Yeah. And, Sorry. I was, and I was just going just gonna to add, there's a free excerpt on the Thinkers Publishing website for anyone who wants to check it out. That's what, that's what I was able to check out. But sorry, continue what you were saying. Uh, no, okay. Mainly this was that uh, simply uh, for me, the most challenging was this, the structure of the book, how I want to do it and what I want to put there and, uh, because I wanted that the people uh, understand what is my uh, understanding of chess and how I look at the openings and how I look at chess in general, you know. So what would so, you say about that? What could you, just to give us a little teaser, how would you just, what is your general chess philosophy? Yeah, okay, mainly because, okay, I think this was developed very much when I was working with Veselin because uh, at that point, okay, I was already very strong grandmaster, but of course I was only 18 years old or 17, so I... I learned a lot from him and with the work with him. So mostly for me, in the openings, especially when you're preparing some opening, I'm not looking only the computer moves, you know, like many of the people of these days they're doing, just looking the evaluation and, you know. And uh, what I'm doing, I'm trying to also understand the positions and maybe sometimes to give... Uh, not the best moves for, I mean, objectively, maybe they're not the best moves, but in practice, they're really causing more problems, you know, mm-hmm. because objectively speaking, chess is a draw, right? right? So if everybody plays with computer, probably to make a draw, you know, in every line, mo- most probably, no. Mm-hmm. So my goal was to, to show in this book that um, there are some lines that they're very difficult to play uh, for example, to play with black, yeah, that there's some interesting op- uh, opening lines that if you uh, see it for first time, it's very difficult to to play over the board. So this is the point of all, all the book, I, I guess. Okay, yeah, that that makes sense. And and by the yeah. way, I did want to follow up. You mentioned that that this book can be read by players up to twenty five, twenty six hundred level. Um, of course, we also we have listeners of of all chess experience levels. We have grandmasters listening and people basically brand new to the world of chess. Um, are do you think that for people even rated below two thousand, would they be able to benefit from from this book? Uh, I really think yes. I really think yes. Because um, what I said that I really tried to do it for uh, for everybody, so I I guess they will find very interesting things also. Yes, but it's mostly I guess for people 2,000 or 2,100 probably is the best. But also every every rating, every range because it's uh, it's in general it's very good. I think. Okay, I so probably I'm guessing the analysis would be good of obviously the analysis if you're trying to make it. Um, valid for the the strongest players in the world then it's valid for the youngest yeah, but players of course also i put a lot of explanations oh, a lot good. Of, okay. of basic explanations i mean it's a uh, very strong players they will of course understand that it's uh, written for uh, 
most um, mostly for 2100 or something but uh, also they'll find the moves very interesting you know and the people who are 2100 or 2000 they'll understand because I really put a lot of explanations and how the positions should play, be played and uh, so on so I, I guess for everybody it will be interesting because I already have friends who who check the book, they're grandmasters and they really like it. So I guess it will be for all people simply. Yeah, I that, guess. That's this, good. Is, this was my hope. This is my hope. Yeah, yeah. Everybody will like it. So Excellent. That's good news. And with a tournament like Gibraltar coming up, do I dare ask, um, like I was talking to GM Jan Gustafsson recently who had just published a, cor- published a course on uh, Double King Pawn for Chessable. Mm-hmm. And he was saying like a couple days later when the course has just come out, it's kind of difficult to pull the trigger actually playing the opening because you're worried someone like... Like, you know, uh, just went to your book, found something and is lay- like laying in the weeds waiting. Do you, do you have that feeling with with Gibraltar? Will, will you uh, venture these lines if you get a chance? No, but I, I'm i uh, playing everything in chess. So for me, it's not real. I mean, I play all the openings. I play E4, D4, C4, so all the moves. So, I mean, for me, I mean, there's some interesting ideas, of course, that maybe if I... If I skip them, probably I could win some games, you know. But, I mean, the goal of this book is not like this. So the goal of this book is to be uh, well-received from the people. And uh, my idea was just to try to help uh, the, the players who want to to play these openings. So this is my vision of, the, of chess. And uh, I just wanted to give it everything. I didn't really think about skipping some lines or you know catching somebody or something like this so yeah that makes sense and of course because many people i know okay i I know it's maybe not good to say but i mean i read that's why probably i didn't like a lot of opening books because sometimes years ago i remember that some people they were even uh, very you know they like the idea that they skip some lines and then maybe later they can you know they can catch someone right right like this but uh, for me, this is not the the goal of the book. So that's good to hear. Yeah, and of yeah. course, you you've uh, being a, a top fifty player, you've played so many just uh, household chess names: Ding Loren, Anan, Ivanchuk. Yeah, Wizzy, many, so. many, many. Yeah. Yeah. So when you're preparing for someone like that, you mentioned that you do have a wide repertoire. You play a lot of stuff. So how how do you decide what to play against a given opponent? Okay, it uh, depends on, uh, on many things. Depends on situation, tournament situation. Depends on uh, how I'm feeling this day, and depends um, in general in the tournament how it's going. Because sometimes you know you're in very good shape, then you have more go- confidence, then you can play very sharp sharp lines because you are very you know very confident. And sometimes you don't feel very good or you don't sleep very well or something like this. So you decide to play more safely. So it depends on um, on the open on the opponent and also how you're feeling. So I can that's why it's very good to have uh, a lot white uh, opening repertoire because you can change. You know, you can change your style sometimes. You can uh, just add some things. And if you don't have this, if you don't play everything, then it's very difficult because if you play only one opening or two openings, you cannot. Uh, switch you know it's very difficult so yeah. because yeah. in general everybody is very well prepared and if you just try to play something just to escape it's it's bad idea usually so yeah although there are people at, at your level who manage to pull it off right there are certainly players like i'm thinking of like gawain jones and basa mamin who i interviewed that that are known to have like more narrow repertoires Yes, yes, but they they have different strategy. They they know them very well. They know these openings very well, and sometimes they even, uh, for example, Amin, because I know him very well. I played many times with him, and he he plays only Kings Indian, and sometimes he has problem in the openings, but he understands very well the position. So sometimes he just doesn't mind to be a bit worse after the opening, but then he he plays very well. So. I mean, this is different strategy, but simply I'm different type of uh, player. So there, there are many different types, and I just try to to switch because I really, how to say, uh, what I said before is that I only see chess as science, so not only as uh, sports. So sometimes I just want to switch because to be more interesting for me, you know, just to to try different things. So it's. Uh, for me, it's question also of this that I sometimes want to try some different openings, some tri- different ideas, maybe just to see how it's going on. So yeah, that makes sense. And, 
And also I'm working a lot on openings and I'm working a lot on chase in general. Okay, before I was working better, but still I'm working. So, I mean, I I have very good memory. So, uh, I ha- I don't see point to, to play only one opening for me. I mean, for some other people, maybe it's different. But for me, I just want to try different things because I, I'm able to do it. So, why, why not? I mean, Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, having a good memory has got to be super helpful yeah. no, when it comes like to this is like in tennis, let's say. I mean, Roger Federer, I mean, he's playing all kinds of shots, you know, because he can, you know, not because he... He he can play only one shot, but he likes everything because he's very good. No, so yeah. if you are good in some things, you can. For example, in openings, I'm very good. I believe so. That's why I can, you know, I can switch and I can play diff- different things. So yeah, that makes sense. And certainly, having worked on a world championship team speaks speaks to the the reputation you must have for for uh, wide opening knowledge. Yeah. Okay. In uh, the matches with uh, Veselin, I mean, I learned a lot and. Uh, all these matches that we were together, I mean, we, we were working like crazy. So <laughs> yeah, I want to I want to come back to that, but I have one one more question related mm-hmm. to to your book, Chaparinov's D four. Uh, this one is from a supporter of the podcast. Uh, his um, so basically the way it works is if um, it, I've send a I have an email list for people who've who've donated to support Perpetual Chess, and when I tell them what the guests and a little bit about their bio, so. Uh, J. Deep Chakrabarty uh, wrote in, sorry if I said your last name wrong, J. Deep, um, wrote in to ask, um, he says, I play 1D4 as white always, and I've seen in tournaments um, an uncommon opening against lower-rated players can make it easier to win. For example, he plays the modern against E4, even though he's a Sicilian player, to catch people off guard. Is there an uncommon opening against D4 that you could suggest for lower-rated players? Is his question? Wow, well, it's a difficult question for me. But uh, okay, probably I will say something like uh, Benoni or Volga, uh, Benko Gambit, which it's uh, okay. It's very popular, of course. But uh, I mean, these are the openings that with black you can really make a points. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if you are a better player, I mean, you can make a points because they're very risky openings, Benoni or Benko Gambit. But uh, but okay, there are many interesting positional ideas in this opening so if you're a better player probably it's very interesting i mean when i was kid i was playing all the time all this opening so king's oh, indian cool. also okay king's indian is always a weapon so king's indian is always very interesting so and now what are your preferred openings i should know this but what what do you uh now it's okay for me i for black i'm playing also everything but uh, most uh, recently i'm playing greenfield and uh and some kind of knight of 66, so this kind of Queen's Gambit and this stuff. Okay. Indian and this stuff, yeah. Excellent. Okay, well, and do you know yet, um, Ivan, which, what volume two will be? Obviously, it's going to be a big project, so do you know what you'll tackle next? Yeah, I think next it will be all this Slav uh, stuff. Okay, with, yeah. Uh, starting with D5, C4, C6. And uh, maybe some something else will be added, no, but pro- most probably Slaffy uh, will be the main uh, main stuff, yeah. Okay, cool. So yeah, listeners, especially if you're a D4 or um, a Grunfeld or Kings Indian player, sounds like the book is worth checking out. Um, but yeah, I'm e- planning to cover everything after D4, so wow. I, I will cover all the openings. Yeah, pr- B- so. Big project. How many years do you think this this will take? No, I think. Uh, in two years, I think it will be because it will be like four volumes. So I think in two years we will probably finish. Okay, yeah. great. Yeah, and of course now that you're home more with your daughter, that gives you something to work on. So I'm already working on the second volume actually, but okay, yeah. I want it to be a surprise. But uh, okay, I'm already working. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that that makes sense. Um, okay, so I'd like to circle back to uh, the team Tapalov stuff, but let's first we're going to take a quick break. Later in this interview, you're going to hear Super GM Cheparinov talk about how he started blindfold chess training when he was four years old. Us adult chess players can't do that, but we can still work on our visualization. Chessable has some courses specifically designed for that called the Visualize series. Its primary aim is to train visualization, not tactics or calculation. The difference is that you're not looking for a tactic from a specific position, but having to visualize a position one to seven moves ahead, hold the position in your head, and then find the tactic from there. The visualized courses are a great tool for anyone rated below 2000. Go to chessable.com to check them out or check the show notes to find the link. All right, back to the interview. So, Ivan, according to the internet, 
you know, unreliable source that it is. You worked with uh, GM Vasilin Tapala for seven years. Is that about right? Uh, okay, I need to count, but they're very, uh, a lot of years. Yeah, from 2005 to 2011, yes. Okay, and you so mentioned seven, that you were you were quite a young man when you started working with him. I was um, 17, I guess. Yeah, I was 17. So did he pick you being that you're from Bulgaria or how did the relationship begin? No, the relation is uh, more complicated because uh, his manager, Silvio Danayouf, was my manager when I was 13 years old. So uh, basically we had one manager and I was playing a lot of tournaments in Spain. And Okay, you know that he's living in Spain, so they both are living in Spain. And uh, at some point, simply because I was already grandmaster with 2620 or something, and I was like 17 years old, and okay, also I'm from Bulgaria, of course, and we, okay, simply our manager, he decided that probably it's a good idea just to try to work with Veselin, and I, um, okay, once I just went uh, to his apartment in Salamanca, so uh, just to, to see how it will go. And uh, it was me and another very strong player, but wow. I will not say his name because maybe it's not a good idea, I don't know. And we were together and then simply he decided that probably it's, um, it's very good because I was good in openings and, uh, okay, we had very good, good uh, chemistry, chemistry with him. I mean, we really became friends. So sometimes, I mean, they just decided that probably it's a good idea to try. And then everything started from this. So I went with them in Linares, the first uh, Linares, when he beat Kasparov in the last game, when Kasparov retired, actually. So this was my first uh, time with uh, with Veselin. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, he's, again, he's a household name in the chess world, but I, I can only imagine in Bulgaria, he must be an absolute legend. So what no, did it... he's a rock star. He's a yeah. rock star. <laughs> yeah, so... Everybody knows him, of course. Yeah. yeah, so what did it feel like to have that opportunity as such a young man? No, but at that point, um, it's funny, because at that point, I didn't think about this, because, I mean, I was very close with uh, our manager, so... And I knew Veselin for many years, and I mean, okay, for me, he was very strong player, but not, I mean, not something like uh, a, a god or something, you know. I mean, he was just normal person that, okay, he was very strong in chess. So, I mean, we were friends, and um, for me, it was nothing uh, so big. I mean, we were just working on chess, and I wanted to concentrate on my career, of course, and I was just uh, doing this, uh, like, opportunity to work with the best player, and then to try to add something in my own chess career. So, I mean, for me, it was not a big special thing. I don't know. But of course, for a anybody, because in Bulgaria, was, uh, he was very big. And especially in 2005, he won almost all the tournaments and he became world champion. And I mean, he did everything. So he became even more popular. So, yeah. Yeah, and I'm looking, it looks like uh, the, the Tapalov-Kasparov game you mentioned in Lenars was yeah. in, two, in 2005. It, it was his last game. It was Kasparov's last game, yeah. So what did, what, were you, so you were there on the scene for that tournament? You were in... I was there because I, rem I remember that I was playing um, uh, this Linares uh, Open, and after it finished, uh, they still needed to play like five rounds or, I don't know, something like this. And then uh, Silvio, his manager, told me, okay, maybe you can uh, stay with us just to see how it goes. And so I stayed and uh, everything started from there. So after that, okay, everything, you know, all, all the history we make. So yeah. and <laughs> this was the first, uh, Just they just want to try with me if it will work. And okay, it appeared that it worked very good, so. Yeah, so I'm um, look. So was were you involved in? It looks like this was a, a Sicilian sort of sideline, the Topalov Kasparov game. Were you involved in the prep for that game? No, and that I was very little. In fact, because they had already this idea to play, and I just checked their files, their lines. But uh, this this was just the first time, so I didn't really do anything about this game. No. Okay, and I. But don't... after that, everything you know, all very interesting ideas. Mostly they were mine, yeah, mostly. Wow, that that's that's pretty impressive. Especially maybe, you know, this uh, Kramnik, very famous game with Kramnik in Vikanze, uh, when he played this 12-move knight takes f7, he sacrificed knight in Moscow uh, Gambit, and uh, from 2008, I think. And okay. this was very famous novelty that... Um, Okay, it was just a very interesting novelty, so just sacrifice a piece for a pawn and... Um, I think this was the highlight because this was really very important novelty. And even nowadays, they're still playing it. So it's wow. uh, 
Yeah, yeah. and this was 2008 with much uh, uh, weaker computers, of course, and uh, I mean it was very, very difficult to do it. It was, it was just very difficult. I mean, so, but you'd done a lot of work on it, and uh, so yeah, how yeah. how nervous were you when when Night Takes F7 got played over the board in the Chrono no, game? No, actually, okay, we have a very funny story about this game because um, we prepared this for uh, I don't know, maybe two years before that. I remember it was some Vikings that I was playing, so I was playing against uh, Dutch uh, player Jan Smith, and he was playing all the time this opening. So I, before the game, I prepared this. I just found this idea and I prepared. And I remember that we were speaking before going to the round, and I told Veselin, "Okay, I have this idea. Maybe it's interesting. I don't know. I'll just try it." And uh, then, but he played different openings, so this didn't appear. So after that, we decided to prepare very well against the match with Kramnik in 2006. And, uh, but he still Kramnik didn't play this opening, so still we didn't uh, have it. Then we had some other opportunities to play, but nobody entered in this line for some reason. So for two years, we just, uh, you know, we were just in standby. This line was yeah. there, but nobody played against us. Because we had many opportunities to play it, but I mean, nobody entered exactly in this opening. So... It was very strange because this was one of the main openings at the time. So, I mean, it was very strange, but somehow Kramnik decided to play it exactly this moment. And, uh, you know, <laughs> so actually finally Veselin played because it was very po uh, possible that maybe I would play it against someone, you know. Yeah. Not famous, but somehow, I mean, the destiny was that Kramnik need to play it. Uh, I mean, it was... That, that's it's a, like this, yeah. That's so, an amazing story. Thank you for being yeah. so so open about yeah, it. Yeah, two years we had this line. We wow. were preparing for matches and matches, and you know, and finally, okay, finally. And would you ever working with a player of that stature? Would you ever feel like you needed to hold something back in your own games? Uh, no, no, because uh, I mean, with Veselin uh, and with everybody I'm working, I mean, mostly we are working together. It's not like. Um, He's my boss, and you know I'm just uh, trying to deliver some lines. You know, <laughs> I mean this is the only thing that I always that I'm working with some strong players. Before that, I'm just say, telling them that uh, I also want to improve. So if we want, we can work together, and it's like both sides. You know? Yeah, yeah. It's not like uh, I just give my lines, and uh, you know. So that's why I, I can play everything. So for example, when we worked with Veselin, I could play all the ideas. I mean, there's no. I didn't have doubt about this, so... Yeah. Uh, this is very important because I know some players that they, for example, some top players, they decided, okay, they uh, buy some analysis, but they say, okay, you will not play it, never, you know? So, okay, some people, they agree for that. Of course, it's not so bad, but I mean, for me, it's not, it's never like this. So. That's good, yeah. And you were, you know, I mean, you still are, you're only you're only 33, but even younger then and, you know, climbing, yeah, the, climbing the ladder. I'm still playing professionally. I mean, okay, I'm not a top player, but still I'm trying to, to do my best, so I'm still... Yeah, of course. No, there. I mean, I, it's, it's amazing. Like, I, I feel like guys who aren't in the, the top 20 don't get the credit they do for their due for just how incredible and how much work you guys have all put in put into chess um so i by no means do i mean to short sell everything that, that you've accomplished um but moving it forward with um with uh team Tapalov, um one thing i'm curious about is in the past few months really a lot of information has come to light that maybe to people like you was already known but to the broader chess audience really wasn't um with the anon files coming out and with mindmaster by vishy anand and anon files of course by recent guest of the show mikhail oblin um are you are you familiar with either of those books yeah actually yeah, i've been a bit ashamed that i didn't read this book yet but uh, somebody told me okay one very good friend of mine told me it's a very nice book <laughs> of this anon files and uh, yeah, I need to read it. I don't know, but I know some things in the book, and uh, it seems very interesting. So yeah, it's it's. Uh, I mean, yeah, it seems very. But actually, it seems very similar to to many things that happened with Veselin during our matches. Because uh, okay, I cannot reveal some things because I mean I never say it, so it's uh, maybe some other time. But I mean, there are some things in the this book of uh, Vichy that. Uh, we had similar stuff with Veselin. So, interesting. I mean, it's very interesting. No, because some guy that, okay, Erwin Lamy from uh, yeah. Poland, 
he because we worked together in this match with Anand and he taught me some things that they're unbelievably the same, very similar to what happened with Veselin. I mean, very, very similar. So probably I was thinking that maybe all these top players, they have uh, some things in common, you know, they have some things that, I mean, yeah. So are these like the interpersonal dynamics, like people, how they get along with each other, or did it have to do with like the actual prep? I mean, I know that there's only so much you're comfortable saying, but, but what do you mean by there were similar things? No, there were similar things in their behavior, I guess, in how they, um, how, for example, you are working for them and then sometimes you don't, you know, you skip some stuff just to be, that they are very comfortable with this, with opening, you know. For example, Veselin, he liked very much to be very confident before the game, you know, Mm -hmm. he liked to be very confident and sometimes, okay, you know, in the last moment, for example, you had some uh, strange idea for the opponent, maybe not so... Stupid, but okay, sometimes it's better just not to tell him that it's very interesting that, you know, sometimes just better to tell him, okay, some move, but it's not it's nothing dangerous, you know, and then he feels better because he goes with confidence, you know, things like this, that, I mean, people, they, they're different people simply, I don't know. For example, for me, it's different. For me, I know to, I really want to know all the information and then to make decisions, you know, but some people, they need to be confident before the game, so they really right. need to to think that everything is covered and, you know, like you're winning everywhere. So, you know, you just go and... <laughs> yeah, Anand. So, um, yeah. Anand. What I understood that the, in this book, there are some similar things, but I need to read, read because I didn't read the book yet. So Yeah, I think you'd enjoy it. Um, and Mikhail oh, yeah. Oblin, uh, writer of the Anand Files, I, I, we've become friendly since, uh, since I interviewed him. And he, um, when I told him that I was interviewing you, he mentioned that I could possibly ask you um, if you have any regrets that Vasilin didn't play E4 in the Sofia match, because it's now huh. it's now known that Anand would have played the French. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, okay, we had no idea, of course. Yeah. But, uh, no, of course we don't have regrets, because I think generally with White, he was uh, pressing all the games, especially the last one. But uh, all the other games, I mean, he was really pressing, so I think we were very good prepared. The only thing that I regret is this last game, because he... Um, I mean, okay, this I will say it because this is very interesting. Probably everybody will enjoy it. <laughs> and I don't think it's something very bad. I mean, last game, uh, everybody knows that Veselin, he suicide himself. He just uh, didn't want to make a draw and he lost this game. Yeah. And if he would make a draw, it would be a tie break and nobody knows what will happen. But the point is that uh, maybe you all remember that uh, before this match, actually the match started like three days after the normal schedule because of uh, this volcano in Iceland. I don't know if you remember, but yeah, there was yeah. some volcano that all the flights, they were cancelled for mounts or something. So it was a big disaster in Europe. So uh, uh, Anand, he needed to come in Bulgaria, for, I think from Germany or something like this. He needed to come like three days before or something, but then because of this volcano, they were stuck in Germany. And okay, the match basically started like three days after that, after the normal schedule. So uh, the tie break uh, normally should be, let's say, like 10th of September, but uh, now it's like 13th, you know. And uh, Vesely, he was very pissed about this because, okay, before he didn't know, but after, okay, the last game, before the last game, he, he understood that it will be exactly the same date that he lost the tie break with Kramnik. So uh, <laughs> exactly the same date. So... That's funny. And he started to be crazy and he said, like, no, I need to win this game, otherwise the tiebreak will be exactly the same date and, okay, I will lose and so on. And, okay, we, we were not able to stop him because, I mean, he, okay, his manager probably need to do something, but he couldn't uh, save him and uh, finally, okay, we saw what happened. I mean, he just, in very equal position, he just went with some King H3 and he suicide himself, so... He lost this game. I mean, this is only a regret because I believe in some tiebreak uh, he had still chances. I mean, okay, of course, Anand was very strong, rapid player, but I mean, yeah. in some tiebreak you you don't know what. Yeah, and so was so was Vasilin, of course. So no, I truly believe he could probably win this match, but I mean, this game, I mean, he was just crazy. So <laughs> this okay. was the, the only regret I have because the match generally was very good. With white, he was pressing. Okay, with black, he has some problems. 
and I believe he needed to switch the opening, but uh, simply he didn't want it. So, I mean, it's very difficult to, with him it was very difficult to discuss some things, you know, when he wanted to do something, it was very difficult to, right. to, to do something. So, I mean, because he was losing this Catalan all the time with black and, I mean, he needed probably to change, but okay, it's uh, already in the past, so yeah. we never know what would happen if he changed, probably he would lose again, so I mean, we don't know. Yeah. Well, a, a few, first of all, for listeners that we should be clear, this is the 2010 world championship match between Anand and Tapalov in, in, in Sofia. Um, and the other thing I, I just wanted to follow up a little bit because both Anand in Mindmaster and Mikhail Oblin in the Anand files wrote about the fact that Anand at the last second, as you alluded to, needed to drive, uh, the whole way to Bulgaria. Um, and as you mentioned, um, uh, this kind of, um, this delayed the start of the match, and there seemed to be some some sort of ill will as residue from that. Um, no, like, but actually, probably this won the match for him because really, Veselin was very pissed that this was uh, exactly this the same date, you know, the tiebreak. So, I mean, this really was very big point of winning the match. <laughs> I mean, it was really good this uh, that they delayed the match for Anand, I guess, because yeah. he started to to have these thoughts. And once he started to have these thoughts, it was very difficult, you know, to because he was not thinking about the game, about the, right. You know, yeah, that can be distracting. And he was really, he was really, really pissed. I mean, I remember that. He do was you just, do you think? I mean, I don't know how much you want to speak for Vasilin or if you feel comfortable answering this, but do you, do you feel like it was reasonable to be upset? I mean, the, it seems like. Uh, team and on like that's it's not entirely within their control when there's a volcano in iceland and they they have trouble getting of course, there no of course i i believe it was just a coincidence you know that this happened but i mean for him because i know him very well and he was this type of person that uh, i mean sometimes he started to think something is very difficult to to take off from his head you know i mean just it was impossible so for him i believe really for him it was uh the the turning point because before that this was very good and before the last game he understood because before he didn't pay attention but exactly before the the last game he understood that the tiebreak will be this day and he started to be i mean he started to be not uh, i mean not himself already i mean he started to be uh, to be different person and you know just not don't think about the game and yeah i mean i truly believe that this lost his match truly believe wow Man, amazing to get that. I mean, that okay, detail. it's not the fault of Anand or his team, of course. I mean, it's just coincidence of you know. Jim. I mean, this could happen, but simply, and he was not pissed of Anand or something. He was pissed mostly that simply the destiny, you know, just turned that it to be exactly this day, you know, because yeah. it could be fourteenth, could be twelfth, you know, but exactly this day. You know? <laughs> I mean, well, do you? What do you think the the refusing to shake hands thing is about? Like uh, Anand writes, there was one game where there was a draw, but they decided to go through the the arbiter mutually because they didn't want to shake hands because. To be honest, I don't rem- I don't okay. remember this stuff. I remember only. Uh, with Kramnik, they had problems, but with Vichy, I really don't remember they had... Uh, okay. Prob- probably they were just tense, because the match was very tense, and probably they were very serious and very tense, all of them. Also, Vichy, I believe, I mean, he was playing in Sofia, and okay, of course, he could think some kind of things, you know. I mean, yeah, yeah, he talks about normal, that. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I can imagine, because I was in uh, Russia with Vesel when we played against uh, Vladimir Kramnik, so... Um, I remember what it was there. So okay, I can imagine that he has some had something in his mind, you know. And everybody was very tense. I guess. Yeah. Also, so for- from Vichy, I heard that uh, he said some, to some interview that this was his uh, most intense match in his career. You know, I mean, even more than with Kasparov and all these matches. So. Probably it was very tense for, for him also. So. Yeah, and so for listeners who aren't clear, the. Um- Ivan is just saying that because it was in the other player's home turf, you worry about some sort of subterfuge with people either learning you're learning your lines or stuff like that. Like Anand tells a story in Mindmaster about they they have basically a security person on their team, and he didn't they didn't even tell Anand that it was a security person. But at the end, but he was always like checking the curtains for bugs and stuff like that. And Anand only found out later that that was the guy's actual role on the team. So yeah, it's cra- crazy the level that. 
that uh, these, I mean, understandable, especially given the history, the Soviet stories from back in the day, but, no, but still crazy after to read. Match with Kramnik because, okay, everybody knows what happened in this match. And after that, I mean, everybody was already thinking in Sofia what could be, you know. I mean, okay, of course, I knew, we knew that in Sofia nothing is possible, nothing can, can be done because, okay, here is. I mean, it's not Soviet uh, Union, so it's different. But still, I mean, when you go to some other player's country, I mean, you can think that something can happen. I mean, it's it's normal. I mean, yeah, it's not, not crazy to think. Of course. Yeah, okay, one more on this match, if you don't mind. Um, so uh, there, in, in these books, the other thing that has come out is that, that Team Topalov had access to sort of a, a supercomputer that was ahead of its time. <laughs> very funny. <laughs> yeah, very funny. The, the Ripka 4. So uh, were, you, were, you the man, were you the man behind the curtain with Ripka 4? <laughs> Yeah, of course, of course. No, but this is funny because, uh, okay, I'll say this. I mean, I just hope uh, my previous manager, Silvio Danilov, will not be not mind. But, I mean, this is true. Uh, because they they were claiming that uh, also we had some supercomputer from Bulgarian government and I don't know how many cores and it was like big deal. And actually this computer existed. They just, uh, from Bulgaria, they at that time they bought this computer for I don't know many, how many millions and uh, mostly this is for the weather or something like this, you know, this computer. And they tried, really tried to work on, um, with chess programs and chess engines, but it was not possible. <laughs> I mean, actually, it was not possible. So, uh, Silvio, he just said everywhere that we use this supercomputer and stuff just to scare an ant. Oh, know? okay. That's amazing. <laughs> but, <laughs> but of course, we had Ripka. We had Ripka. I don't remember if it was four or something, but it was some kind of special Ripka. But we had in some normal computers, I mean, some at the time very good computers, but not something special. Because this supercomputer, it was like million cores or something like this, I don't know, a thousand cores. And this was very good computer, but they couldn't make it <laughs> because they really tried, but they couldn't make it because we had only one mount and all these IT specialists, they couldn't make it. So finally, he decided just to say that uh, we are using it. But okay, finally, we, we didn't use it. So It sounds like it worked. I mean, Anand spends a lot of time talking about oh, it in Mindmaster. No, that... we had very good computers, very good at the time, probably the best, but not uh, not this one. I mean, not super, super computer, you know. Yeah. No, no, but I also... Like Alpha Zero or something. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. And I also meant that the, the psychology worked, the, the fact no, that... The psychology that's... was brutal. I mean, it was... Yeah. I mean, it was just amazing. Yeah. Well, thank you for being so open. That's that's just uh, incredible. No, but this is in the past already, so I don't. I guess there will be no no problem. So. <laughs> yeah, and are are you still working with Tapalov at all? Uh, no, from many years not from 2011. I don't work with them. And um, okay, with Veselin, I still guess we're in good conditions, but uh, with his manager, we're not in very good relations. So. Uh, I'm not working with them, but okay, I always uh, follow his games, his tournaments, so I mean, I wish him all, all the time very good, all the yeah. best. And what about... Well, uh... friends forever. I mean, I really liked him, and the the time we spent together, it was just very good. Yeah. And what about uh, Romain Edward, of course, uh, of Thinkers Publishing, who put us in touch? Um, so how was he involved? I mean, I know he's written a book about this, but um, like, uh, what were your interactions with him? Yeah, actually, he he stole my book because, <laughs> because, I mean, I could really, I mean, I still can write a book about this because I have so many stories. But it will be, probably if I decide to write, it will be not about chess. It will be about the matches and uh, the time spent with him because, I mean, I know so many things that, I mean, so oh, wow. many stories. Uh, and maybe one day I will do it. That would be but great. But yeah, okay, he stole the book because, okay, I, I worked with Wesley in like seven years and he worked, I guess, three, four years. But the book is very good. I read the book. It's very nice. And actually, maybe he's one of the main reasons I started to 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 write these books because these volumes. Because he, he was in touch with me and uh, with Daniel also and we were in touch and they somehow convinced me to do it because from the beginning I was not really sure that I want to do it. And also he was very helpful with uh, the process of the book and helping me with questions and everything. So I really want to help him because without him I could, couldn't do it like this. You know? Yeah, so. well, they're doing great work. I mean, it seems... Uh, they're doing, because uh, the book was very good, but when they you know, um, saw the book and tried to add some things, I mean, they, they did very good. I mean, they really changed uh, many things. So 
I mean, I'm very helpful, thankful for, for their work. I mean. Yes, and, and as we are. Um, so finishing up, Ivan, I know that, that you've got a lot going on. Let's just, uh, let's just hear a little bit more about, well, there's a couple things, actually. Um, one, I just wanted to talk a little bit more about your chest. So um, what are your, what, so you don't have as much time as you used to to work on your chest, but when you do, is it mostly opening work or are you able to work on other aspects of your game still at your level as well? Uh, yeah, of course, it's mostly opening because it's, um, I mean, nowadays it's very important, but of course I work on some other stuff. For example, I'll tell you now my schedule, how it's more or less, because before it, I was uh, concentrating on everything, but nowadays it's just impossible. That's why I'm trying to focus on the most important stuff. So mostly every day when I can, I'm trying to go to gym. For me, it's very important to, to be in good shape. Actually, now after our interview, I'm going to play football because I really like it. Excellent. Uh, what I want to say is that sport for me is very important to doing sport because it's uh, you need energy. And, okay, we know that Carson is very good, uh, in very good shape and many other top players. So, I mean, you really need to be in top shape to be a very good chess player. I mean, it's, I don't have doubt about this. I think it's uh, just very important. I mean, may, maybe nobody noticed this, but I think it's uh, maybe 50%, because when you're very strong, you need to be in very good physical shape. So I think it's very good. And this is uh, this I'm trying to do it every day. And uh, with chess, chess-wise, uh, I'm trying to, okay, openings, of course, but also to calculate. I'm trying to calculate every day, like two hours if I can. Even sometimes uh, I'm just at home with my girl and I just try to, you know, with my daughter. And uh, when she's playing, I'm just taking some positions and, you know, just calculating on my mind. So uh, on blindfold. Oh, good for you. So, so I mean, I'm just trying to all the time calculate a little bit every day because it's very important. And openings, okay, openings, it's the main stuff, but not only openings like, you know, just moves, but also understanding the positions that you reach and uh, understanding uh, how to, to work on these positions, how to play these positions, you know. For example, I'm trying to, when I reach some, some let's say, on 20 moves, some small advantage, and I try to, to see how to play later, you know, and uh, to understand more the position. So this is the, the main goal for me. Uh, and uh, of course what I say that sport is like I, I really wanted the young players if somebody is listening to me now to, to understand that this is very very important so if you want to reach uh, top level I mean this is just impossible to do it without this Yeah. so uh, I mean before maybe nobody understood it but l lately everybody knows that this is the, the most important stuff and I think actually this is the main reason that Carson is so strong and always he's winning the last games and you yeah. know, I mean just also Vesely I just want to mention that when uh, 2005 when he he was very strong all the time he was starting very bad but then lately he was winning all the games in the end of the tournament so and he was very good in very good shape I mean he was going to gym all the time and running like 10 kilometers all the time you know and he was very good shape so I think that's why he was very strong so strong, I mean, in the end of the tournament. So this is very, it's very important, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. The top guys oh, are, are so fit now. Um, yeah, but this is only the top guys because I, I noticed that some young player, maybe they don't pay attention uh, what to this, but I mean, they really need to do it because otherwise they will not be in the top. I mean, it's yeah. very difficult. Good, yeah. yeah, good advice. Um, and, and in terms of working on your calculation, uh, w what do you just pick positions from openings or how do you get the positions that you're working through? No, I, uh, I just take some books, for example, studies or some book for calculations. I mean, there are so many lately that, I mean, you really just take some book, but I try to do it on blindfold because yeah. it's uh, more productive for me. I mean, it's uh, interesting. And also sometimes uh, when I analyze some position and then, for example, I go to, I don't know, somewhere to gym or something, I'm trying to think about this position and many times actually I'm finding some very interesting ideas when I, you know, when I'm not in the chessboard, but when I'm just somewhere and I dig a little bit. And then when I check, it's very interesting idea. So sometimes you need to open up your mind, you know, and to give him some time and then you can find. For example, I remember that many times I, I work on some positions like three hours, four hours, and then I couldn't find the exact way how to play, you know. I know that I'm very close, but, uh, you know, there's no exact way how to go and then uh, I give myself some time and after that uh, okay you find uh, 
uh, ideas always. I mean, it's like yeah. There's there's been research about that outside of the field of chess, just about how like you often have bolts of inspiration in like the shower and stuff like no, that. This is like the famous phrase of Einstein. I mean, everybody knows it. You know that in the shower he's all the time have these ideas. So I mean, it's something similar that sometimes you need to you know open up your mind and then you just you find the way. So. In opening sometimes works because many times even with supercomputers, sometimes they don't show immediately the, you know, the most nasty way for, you know, to take the advantage of something. And sometimes you need to show him some move, you know, it's not so easy. And that's why you need to, you know, sometimes to open up your mind and then you to, to okay. deliver the, the you- final touch, yeah. Yeah, and and regarding the blindfold training that you do, um, is that something that you placed an emphasis on uh, um, as a developing young player, or is like uh, was that always a big part of your yeah, training? It's also very important. Yeah, I mean, I I played blindfold when I was four years old. I mean, Whoa, wow! Old, yeah, because even my father, because he was, uh, I mean, he was my first coach, and uh, he's a candidate of master, so he's has like twenty one hundred or something like this. And he he teach me to play blindfold. So from that point, I was uh, playing all the time blindfold. Even he was winning some bets because nobody believed him <laughs> that I was playing blindfold when I was four years old. But okay, it, it's true. And um, later on, yeah, even with Veselin, many times I remember that we were just in, let's say, in sauna or in swing pool, you know, and we just uh, lay down and then we we sort of have some ideas and try to to make it work and then always there were some interesting ideas that we were finding during our blindfold you know sessions so wow. i mean even okay you know maybe even chuk is also this kind of type he's all the time you know okay he's a bit strange of course but i mean he's all the time thinking about some positions you know <laughs> I mean, right it's like also i am very impressed of Gelfand, let's say because uh, all the time he's calculating during the game he's watching somewhere else you know <laughs> right and, yeah uh, Okay, I'm not this type of person, but I mean, uh, I think that it's really very useful to to be very good blindfold because you can imagine the position better, you know, and sometimes the pieces are um, disturbing you, so it's better to to calculate without piece because it's you can imagine the position much better than than when you see the position actually. So yeah, I that's one of those things that only I feel like only twenty six and twenty seven hundred say it. I I find that hard to relate to. <laughs> no, but this is uh, happening with a lot of training. I mean, okay, imagine I'm now thirty three years old and I was four. No, so like right. <laughs> like nine years, I'm like uh, all the time doing this and okay, and I'm even not in the top ten in the world. I mean, imagine the other guys. I mean, they're yeah. probably even much better so, so so i mean uh it's uh, you need to to work a lot in, uh, the ch- chess is very difficult i mean if you need to be in the top it's really very difficult you need to to be very um, it's like every sport i mean you need to or every profession i mean you need to be very focused and you need to do the best things uh, and what you what you can every day and maybe you hope to to succeed otherwise maybe you're not but okay you have hope to succeed only if you you do all the best uh, you can. So yeah, and um, I mean, just just two more things. Um, so, any specific book recommendations or improvement advice you, you would give based on, yes, on from openings? You understand that I cannot give, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, maybe in general, I like all these books of um, Chaba Bauch. They were on the calculations. And uh, I also like the book of uh, Volkitin of calculations. I write, like very much. It's already old book. I guess it's like five years already. No, I don't yeah, remember. Yeah, that's per- perfect. But chess, it's a very, very good book. Uh, yeah. And if you want to improve your calculations, I think this is very, very good book. Okay. And uh, yeah, Chaba Bauch, I like his books because they every year they have the most interesting positions of the recent year. So it's. Uh, I mean, it's very good because the old books, I know all of them. So that's why I need to, you know. New, new positions. That's amazing. Yeah, that you just know them all. And, um, okay, now I I have some book that I need to to read. I didn't read, but I don't remember who wrote it. So I don't want to be ashamed to say. But it's about some, it's a, it's some Russian name. It's about some studies. So I need to really to, to check it because I heard very good um, reviews from some grandmaster that is very Good book and probably for my level. So wow, okay. Uh, I will, yeah, I will need to check it because I don't remember now his name. And but it's just new book, just a very new book. So um, 
But yeah. I think these books for calculations are yeah are very very good. Yeah, but Bookkeeping okay. I really recommend because it's a very nice book. Yeah, often often recommended by strong players like yourself. Um, and for for listeners who are lower rated, those are definitely higher level recommendations. But certainly the advice of working on your calculation and your blindfold play is something that yeah. any, anyone can take but to heart. This book I think uh, that I mentioned is for all levels. I guess it's also for. Uh, for weak players, so I mean, it's the the, the Russian one or the perfected no, chess. Volkitin, Volkitin okay. Book, I think. Okay. Cool. And yeah. l- last thing, Ivan. I mean, it seems. I mean, this has been really. I- I've loved this interview, especially all the insights about Team Topalov and stuff that only a handful yeah. of people can can tell in the world. But it's great to hear about your career as well. Um, so, are you en- are you enjoying yourself as a chess professional? Is is uh, is it a fruitful life for you? Yeah, of course, I enjoy very much. And okay, I'm uh, 33 years old now, but I still, maybe to be like a joke, but I still think I can improve, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, of course. So I'm still improving, trying to improve. And um, this is what I do. I mean, I really enjoy playing chess. I enjoy studying chess. So, and I enjoy winning at chess. <laughs> so, I mean, I really try to improve. And uh, this is this is what I'm doing here. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and are you doing anything? Are you doing any training for players or still um, focused on your own game and your books and helping uh, elite mostly players? Mostly on my play, but okay, sometimes I have some lessons with some players, of course, but uh, mostly because I don't have a lot of time. I mean, I'm right. really traveling a lot and playing a lot, so I mean, there's no time for everything, but okay, sometimes, of course, I can give some lessons to some people that I like, so I can give lessons. Okay. But mostly, yeah, mostly even with the book now, I mean, I need to spend a lot of time also on the book, so... Now it's becoming really difficult to do right. everything, but uh, but I'm trying. Yeah, I mean I'm not doing anything else. I mean just I'm just doing sports, uh, playing with my daughter, and doing this. So so- <laughs> I mean there's no things that I'm doing. So yeah, yeah, that that sounds good to me. And if there's anyone who would like to to keep up with your progress or to contact you, is there is there a way for them to do that? Um, yeah, okay. I'm uh, mostly on Facebook. I have accounts, so I mean, I'm sharing there a lot of stuff. So if somebody wants, always can check on internet or, uh, I mean, my tournaments, the tournaments I'm playing, they're very popular mostly. So everybody can just uh, Google and it's, uh, it's very easy. So okay. but my Facebook, everybody can check because it's uh, it's easier. Yeah. Excellent. Okay. Well, Ivan, I'll be rooting for you in Gibraltar. This thank, actually, thank you a lot. Thanks a lot. Yeah, this actually won't come out for ten days. So by the time it comes out, people can see how you're doing. So yeah, thanks. No, actually, it was a very good interview. I'm really glad that you asked me. And uh, yeah, I hope maybe some other day we can do it even more. Yeah. That would be awesome. Yeah, <laughs> I would love to. Especially, you got to write that book. That book sounds amazing. Oh, one day I write, but I need. I think uh, first Vesely needs to retire because they're very interesting. Okay, that makes sense. Well, it seems like he might be on his way to retirement. So, so (laughs) yeah, okay, but I need to to hear from him that he retires officially. Then I will do it. Awesome. There's time. There's time. Yeah, Yeah, something to look forward to. Okay, well, good luck and thank you so much. This was a lot of fun. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, as always, to my producer Matthew Passy for making Perpetual Chess happen. I also want to thank all you guys and girls who helped me grow Perpetual Chess. That includes everyone who tells a friend about the show, everyone who writes a positive review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, whatever other podcast platform you may be on. All of it is appreciated and all of it keeps me going. But of course, most of all, I want to thank the people who provide financial support to the show. I would like to give extra special thanks to the following people and entities. They are Chessable Quality Chess Books, the Capital City Chess Club, the Apprentice Twitch Channel, Andrew Bach, Austin Clough, Benjamin Porto, Kathy Carr, Chad Oliver, Dan O'Hanlon, Danny Davidson, David Schreiber, I am Dimitri Schneider, Faraz Sawaf, Gary Foreman, Greg Natel, Greg Shahadi, Guven Manet, Jens Green, John Jernigan, John Cromarty, John McCarthy, Kelly Palmer, Kevin O'Callaghan, Lone Pine Chess, Lorraine Dore, Lucio Casada Silva, the Law Offices of Stuart Katz, Michael Kahn, FM Michael Oplin, Mike Zelazny, Moonmaster 9000, Peter Sodi, Reuven Fisher, Seattle Chess Club, Thomas Stanix, Thomas Tachenko, Todd Bryant of Strong Chess, and Todd Kennedy. And I would also like to thank the following people and entities. They are... Aaron Waffler, Ace Fayega, Adam Ralph of ChessEngland.com, Adrian Gutierrez, Alex Pejas, FM Andre Terakov, Andrew Perry, Better Chess Training, Bill Juniper, Bill Moran, 
Brad and Andy Rosen, Brett Howard Lynn, Brian Mullis, Chad Hilton, Dr. Charles Snodgrass, Chris Flanagan, Chris Wainscott, Christopher Baumgartner, Christopher Shabri, Chris Lott, Christopher Wood, I am Christoph Zalecki, a.k.a. Chess Explained, Coach Day's Chess Academy, Courtney Fry, Daniel Gell, Daniel Ginsberg, Daniel Lucas of U.S. Chess Federation, Daniel Naylor, Dave Saylor, David Cramley, CEO of Chessable.com, Dalen Shelton, Dwayne Edmonds, Ethan Smith, I am Alec Donnie Ariel, the Fox Valley Chess Club of Aurora, Illinois, Dr. Frank Tortoris, Gary Andrews, Gary Lewis, Geert Vandervelt, Gerard Barta, Giovanni Russo, Han Schut, Harish Srinivasan, James Aspinwall, James Benastia, James Moore, Jason Anfang, Jason Woolham, J. Deep Chakrabarty, Jeff Anderson, Jeffrey Martello, Jerry Wells, J.J. Stranod, John Fernandez, John Fontaine, John Hartman, John Jeffrey, John McMurtry, Jordan Goodwin, Jose Rodriguez, Justin Gardner, Jen Shahadi, Joel Rocky, John Thompson, GM Josh Friedel, I am Kare Christensen, WGM Katerina Nemsova, Kelly Palmer, I am Kostya Kovutsky, Krishna Kapala Krishnan, Larry Ryforth, Laura Belyovsky, Martin Knudsen, Matthew Passi, Matthew Tedesco of SeattleChessMeetup.org, the Mechanics Institute Chess Club of San Francisco, Michael Allard, Miguel Araspidi, Mike Clem, Mr. Mike Shahadi, Nate Salon, Neil Bruce, Olaf Mueller Michaels, GM Pascal Charbonneau, Passi Passanen, Paul Bain, Paul Clarkson, Paul Sweeney, Paulo Santana, Peter Lux, Peter Merrifield, Randy Temple, Ricky Grahalver, Roy Yearwood, Ryan Berg, the Say Chess YouTube channel, Scott Doherty, Scott McKinnon, Sebastian Finsterwalder, WGM, Tatia Vabrahamian, Tim Brennan of TacticsTime.com, Tim Seymour, Timothy Ha, Tom Edsel, Tomas Komanich, Tony Rotella, Tyrin Price, Victor Vrinkouj, Wayne Beam, William Brock, William Juniper, William Peterson, FM Zhao Chang of Chess1000.com, Zhivko Stoyanov, and that is everyone. Thanks, everyone. Catch you guys next week. Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.